for real. Okay, wow. I guess it makes it official. If you hit record, then we're off into the races. Yeah, you're Brent, you're on the record now. So you need to be really careful. <laughs> and remember, this is a family show. Absolutely. I can do that. And I'll try to keep the cuss words to them in a moment as well. Yeah. Okay, this is Dead Silence. Who's going? I think you should do it, man. Okay, I haven't heard your voice for quite some time, <laughs> so I figure I might as well do it on the podcast. Yeah. Well, okay. So we're we're uh, back and we're in action. And, um, you know, welcome to the hot aisle. And uh, I'm Brian Carpenter. And with me. And I'm me, Brent Piatti. Yeah. We're... Uh, we're clearly out of sync here, Brent. Let's do this thing. So <laughs> the intro to this show, the goal of the show, um, is you know fresh off the heels of VMworld Barcelona, and um, frankly, you know VMworld of Las Vegas. Uh, re, you know, not in the too distant past. We just kind of wanted to talk about the latest announcements, um, and let's get some. Let's get a leader to talk about it. So no better of a leader with no more handsome of an accent than the uh, famed Ray O'Farrell. So Ray, thank you so much for getting up at like 4 a.m. and joining us. Hi guys, how you doing? No, happy to talk to you guys and happy to talk about VMworld. And uh, both VMworld Vegas and Barcelona were obviously big and great events for us. So happy to talk about any, any announcements or just what that experience is like as well. Yeah, and Ray, just so everybody knows, for those who don't think that you're as famous in their minds as, as I have you, um, you're the CTO and Chief Development Officer of VMware. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. And so we uh, had VMware for we had VMware for about 13 years. So I've uh, probably have uh, uh, worked on most of the products that any of you get from VMware. So uh, obviously, a uh, lot of a uh, lot of experience with what VMware does over the years. Yeah, and as, as Brent uh, stalked you on LinkedIn and other things, right? So formerly the uh, Senior Vice President and GM of the Software Defined Data Center Division and um, also Correct. the Senior VP uh, of R&D around cloud infrastructure for that was that first 11 of the or so of the 13 years. Um, so really cool stuff. And before that, it says you were a software developer. You were actually a software developer on the cloud or ESX stack or um, how, what exactly did you do from a software development standpoint? Uh, actually, when I joined VMware, I came straight in managing um, an R&D team. Back then, it was uh, the fledgling storage stack of what later became ESX and vSphere, ESXi and vSphere. So my first roles at VMware were basically building that storage team. Um, if you're not familiar with it, ESX essentially has... Um, to all intents and purposes, it's got many components of an operating system, one of them which is, of course, a mass storage stack. And so I joined to build that, uh, everything from working with the teams doing the file systems to how we interface with SANS, some of the very first ones, which were EMC way back then before there was any relationship between VMware and EMC. Yeah, that's cool. I, I mean, if I didn't even, you know, as we built out kind of our show notes, I didn't even think about the fact that you were there before the acquisition occurred or the, the, you know, the, the joining of forces there. So that's, a, um, that's pretty cool. That had to have been a fun and probably scary experience. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's particularly interesting since as I manage the storage teams and then you know, the company that's uh, coming in to partner and in, in part of the acquisition is obviously EMC, a big giant player in the storage space. I think... Um, you know, one of the key things we did back then, VMware is a, a, a platform type of product, so it needs to be fairly uh, ubiquitous across the, the data center, working with lots of different storage players, server vendors, etc. And um, we spent a lot of time making sure that we could continue to work with and partner with a broad array of uh, array vendors. And I think we were fairly successful in that. And in fact, you know, EMC was, was pretty good to help us do that as well. Um, so it worked out. It worked out very well. We managed to keep and continue to grow a pretty large ecosystem in the storage space, uh, even while we have this super strong relationship with EMC. Awesome. Well, Ray, it, obviously you've got a, a wealth of knowledge in the industry. Um, you know, know VMware and and EMC very well. But let's kind of take it back a step a bit further and talk about your your education and why you you went down this path of technology. So if I I look at your past. You've got a master's in computer science and a bachelor's in electrical engineering. Obviously, there's something you were keen on that that led you kind of down that. So, talk just a little bit about 
what got you into technology and what, what has kept you here over the, you know, called the past 20, 30 years? So I've always been into uh, science and engineering, you know, going to school. Uh, science was the thing I liked probably the most. Um, and ironically, history. I don't know how those two things relate together, but basically they were the two things I was very interested in. Um, but, uh, you know, I very much wanted to work uh, in in a technical field. And, uh, in fact, uh, very much wanted to work in electronics. I was a little bit of an electronics hobbyist uh, towards the end of high school. You know, I mean, uh, the real hardware stuff. And, um, in fact, my initial uh, degree in education was very much on electronics, electronic systems, uh, you know, everything from analog to digital systems to you know, the usual electrical engineering uh, 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 things that you do. But um, the very first job I had out of uh, out of my undergraduate, I was actually working for one of the professors. Uh, she had set up a startup. Um, uh, one of the professors who had taught me, she had set up a startup, and I was working on image processing, um, which uh, some of which was done using, well, way, way back, well, back then, you know, bit slice processors, but also... A lot of it was done using uh, uh, what was then the Motorola 68040, that family of processors. And uh, I very quickly began to pull across into the software side of that. So later on, I went back and did a master's in uh, computer science, focused much more on software and DSP. And uh, that's basically what I've worked on. But almost all of the time in every job I've had, um, when I work on software, it tends to be a little bit where the software and the infrastructure meet. So, you know, I end up doing things like real-time operating systems or, um, you know, if it's something on storage or networking, something around about how that software is, begin, is beginning to interface with the infrastructure in some way. So I've managed to keep that connection pretty closely between what I would call, you know, hardcore systems type of engineering, that type of software. That's just what happens to attract me and what I like to do. And uh, so even as I moved into more, um, you know, managing teams and building organizations, if you look at VMware, it's, uh, you know, it's an enormously powerful system software company. And um, that's the uh, type of software I like to work in. Well, yeah, you've definitely stuck with that theme, you know, being with the cloud infrastructure, software-defined data center, and then obviously just VMware as a whole. So. Uh, Ray, talk to us about what your current focus is at VMware, and then also what's the current strategy? I mean, we—I I think that it—it it certainly has evolved and it's continuing to evolve. Yeah. So the um, the you know my current particular focus is probably leaning more and more towards the CTO side of my job, which is um, you know focused on what are some of the future things that uh, we want to get involved in. Um, but also fairly important, to, I think, to the culture of VMware is VMware very much, you know, looks at solving problems by attacking them from a technology or an innovative point of view. And um, one of the things that has stuck very well with us over the years is this ability to pivot and innovate and um, make use of innovations coming from deep within the organization itself. So as a CTO, one of the things I've been pretty focused on is trying to make sure that we continue to generate that. So I spent a lot of time um, just focusing on how do you keep that innovation engine running. And I find that extremely fascinating because it's, uh, you know, you can't wake up some morning and say 100 people will now innovate today. Instead, you have to create uh, an, uh, an atmosphere and a mechanism to make that happen. And um, that's what, you know, that's where I spend a fair amount of time on. It's like keeping that innovation engine running. So I have research groups that work for me. I have groups who, um, you know, are looking at taking technologies from very fledgling um, ideas and bringing them into a proof of concept and then us deciding, you know, is that something we want to invest further in? So a fair amount of time on that, what I would call essentially running that, uh, that that innovation engine. And by the way, all of that does not occur in the office of the CTO. In fact, probably only a small amount of it does. Most of that is to make sure across the whole R&D organization that there's this constant uh, uh, focus on, on innovate, reinvent, figure out what we're going to do in a particular area. That's one thing very passionate about making that happen, and it's very core to our culture. Um, I think when I look at products and projects and where we are um, 
on that. You know, my particular focus uh, is, uh, and you know, much of the focus of the company um, is uh, obviously most recently on things like the the announcements and what we've done around cross cloud, and um, uh, also a recognition that as many companies are going through, you know, this concept of a digital transformation, uh, it fundamentally changes the. Um, way that the IT organizations need to operate within the company. And uh, that means we need to produce new products and new ways of working with them. So they're probably the two core areas um, where we've got a lot of focus on right now. Okay, very cool. So from a keep innovation engine running, and you're saying it's not just originating from the office of the CTO, but kind of grassroots. Um, I saw on Twitter when in Barcelona you, you visited the the hackathon that was going on there. Wanted to understand, um, you know, kind of how that, how, what you guys are focused on during those hackathons, and, and what cool projects are coming out of those uh, that are helping drive that innovation engine. Okay, um, so VMware has hackathons all the time internally, where um, actually, you know, a little bit of a tidbit of information there. We actually refer to them as boratons, and that uh, well, there's nothing boring about them. But um, our original source code trees were named after islands, and one of the primary, primary one was Bora Bora, and that name just stuck throughout the years as the, um, uh, you know, the, the, that's the place where the, the latest development is going on type of thing. And so we ended up calling them Boratons, and we have a lot of them. And uh, most of the time, they're a gathering of engineers from across the company. By the way, very much also including field engineers. It's not just from R&D. It's our sales engineers, um, uh, um, from across, you know, our global organization, uh, get together and, um, you know, what you would normally do in a hackathon. Uh, we typically have some themes. The theme might be, you know, automation or making it easier to manage systems or, uh, or you know, new ways of interfacing with some of our mobile uh, products. And um, so you typically have some theme and small teams get together and they'll they'll build a prototype or try and put together the basis of a project. Uh, typically, we will have some judging of that, sometimes voted by the people in the room. Sometimes we'll grab a bunch of senior engineers or execs in there to just listen to a readout of the projects and uh, figure out, okay, this one is particularly cool, and uh, there's, you know, there's, there's prizes for those, typically something relatively small, like, uh, I don't know, a small... Uh, embedded uh, uh, PC or something like that, but something just to say, hey, this particular project stood out in some way. Now, um, many of those projects do end up eventually, you know, working their way into some of our uh, some of into our products. They become the fledgling ideas, which um, after some time begin to get brought into the products. Uh, quite often, you act, can actually see the results of these. If you go on a VMware website, there's a thing called Flings, F-L-I-N-G-S, which is a place where basically we put out snippets of software and products, um, which are, you know, they're free things to download, which basically give you um, access to just some cool stuff that people are working on internally. A lot of those are around automation and management or extensions to the user interface, that kind of thing. So that's basically what we do with the hackathons. Um, of the particular ones, that, one that was on in um, uh, Barcelona, uh, the reason why I went to that was because there was also one in um, uh, Las Vegas, which I missed. Uh, I'd seen some various Twitter posts about it, and I wanted to just check out the one in Barcelona. And what's unique about that is it's actually not a VMware thing. It's a VMware and some of our key customers. So VMworld is a relatively technical conference uh, you know there's a lot of time spent going through the nuts and bolts of the products working through the different uh, apis technologies new features etc so there's a lot of of technologists people who are using developing uh interfacing with our products who attend there so the hackathon is an interesting way for them to directly work with vmware engineers and uh and sales engineers and come up with some uh, some some cool products so it's um it's very very powerful the concept of uh you know a bunch of engineers getting together sitting down attacking a really hard problem uh just very powerful some interesting stuff comes out of that that whole concept of innovation creativity being built around a team like that that's just uh, to me extremely powerful 
It sounds like cool stuff. And um, I'd be curious sometime, we can talk about it where uh, I'd like to see some of the products where it went from a Borathon into uh, something that somebody consumed in the most recent release. Uh, maybe we can do that another time with maybe one of the teams that runs the Borathons. So as we, yes, as, yep. as we roll back to um, VMworld uh, Las Vegas and um, all the things that were announced there, obviously we talked about a couple of big things, one of them being kind of the, the multi-cloud cross-cloud strategy and the cross-cloud architecture, easy for me to say. Um, of those, right, the two things that really stuck out was cloud foundation from the technology perspective and then the partnership with IBM as far as being the first big partner. So let's let's talk about um, either one in whichever order makes sense for you to kind of describe the thought process behind the announcement, uh, what key differentiators there are, and then you know why you know why was IBM the right choice at that time? Uh, so let's talk about some of the thought process first. Um, so broadly speaking, what these products are is the ability to take your existing software-defined infrastructure, which uh, if you're not familiar with that, is essentially uh, ESX, which most people think of as vSphere because it lumps the management and everything into that. But basically, ESX, uh, vSAN on the storage side, um, and uh, NSX on the networking side, all of these virtualizing each of those uh, uh, specific uh, SAN networking compute areas, um, is taking that whole block of code, the SDDC, which is what we uh, uh, refer to that, the software-defined data center, and allowing you to run that in a public cloud. The goal there is that the exact same stack that you run in your private data center or in your dedicated, you know, hosted cloud um, is now available to run on a public cloud with the elasticity, uh, the economics, the, you know, burst capabilities and so on that you're able to get from working with a public cloud. So that's the, the kind of core concept that, that uh, applies to that. Um, why, are, why did we end up doing project into space or why do we end up working with partners like IBM in this? Um, it's basically driven by the fact we are finding more and more customers uh, who are um, anxious to leverage some aspects of cloud. Many of them are doing it in terms of a private cloud on their own infrastructure using VMware, but they also want to be able to leverage the capabilities uh, of being say, hey, I want to use one of the, the public clouds. It gives me additional infrastructure. Um, you know, my teams are interested in doing this. How do I make this happen? But they also very quickly get into a mode by where they realize they're in a hybrid environment in that they've got many existing applications, a lot of existing uh, software infrastructure, uh, which they simply cannot say, hey, I don't want to use that anymore. I'm going to do everything in a public cloud. But they also want to leverage that public cloud. And many, many of our customers are now getting to that point where they're in this hybrid mode of having to do both of these things. And in some cases, having to do both of these things where they are deeply connected together from a security policy point of view, from a shared data point of view, um, even simply from the ability of... Uh, their staff and their people um, trying not to have to, you know, learn two completely different ways of doing things. So that's why we did this, this direct response of what we see going on in our customers and trying to solve that problem uh, for them. What we effectively do there is take that SDDC and say, just as you ran that on your data center, your private data center, you are now able to run that on the infrastructure in the public cloud. And because you do that, um, we also, uh, since this infrastructure is now VMware virtualized infrastructure, we are able to give you capabilities um, that you might not be able to get when you're normally using a public and private cloud in separate silos. And probably the biggest capability is the leveraging of NSX to connect um, those two clouds together. And the second one is to leverage a common management paradigm using products like vRealize where the same basic management, blueprinting, provisioning applies to whether you're putting those applications on your private cloud or on, or, or on the, uh, uh, the public cloud running that same SDDC infrastructure. Yeah, and, it, and from, from just the research on this, it looks like there's uh, a large synergy between the number of, of common enterprise customers between VMware and IBM that made it um, you know, really easy for you guys to make that decision as well. Uh, so there's something like 4,000 different customers between you guys. So that's that's 
it makes compelling sense. Um, so you brought up NSX. So let's talk about um, how that enables the cross-cloud connectivity. Is that, first of all, a requirement? And if so, talk to us about some of the requirements to make this hybrid, this true hybrid cloud work in, in your world now. Okay. Um, so the ability to run the uh, infrastructure on, or sorry, to run the SDC and your applications uh, on um, infrastructure such as software does not require you to use NSX, but you get lots of advantages when you run NSX. And um, those advantages are the same advantages you get when we speak of NSX being leveraged in a private cloud. Um, for the, uh, just to, to clarify a little bit what NSX is, um, in some ways NSX is the equivalent of the same virtualization that you do on compute, but now applied to networking. So it is a layer of software, conceptually not unlike a hypervisor, which uh, abstracts some of the underlying network infrastructure. And um, when it does that abstraction, then essentially represents uh, much of what you would normally expect from a networking infrastructure, but now in a purely software fashion. And because you have done that, you then open up, again, some new and interesting things that you can only do when you're really looking at something from a software-defined way. Uh, so, for instance, you can very quickly spin up new instances of NSX. You can spin up new firewalls. Uh, you can very quickly um, deal with a highly distributed uh, networking infrastructure. And, um, you know, even if that is very dynamic, since it's all software, it's able to react and, um, you know, offer you everything from security uh, to enhanced encryption uh, to, you know, basically a whole new range of networking functionality built on that. So NSX brings you these strengths. And probably the most simple example where you really see the power of this is when you get into something like um, uh, micro-segmentation. Um, the ability to effectively build security around individual applications from a networking point of view and do so in a software fashion, meaning that when you provision that application, at the same time you can provision the networking infrastructure around it. It's all software in the end. And that just brings up enormous flexibility. So you get all of that even on the, um, uh, the, uh, the IBM uh, public cloud implementation of the SDDC as well. Where you do get an additional big boost, however, uh, in, in addition is because NSX is now virtual networking, it allows you to stretch the networks from the SDDC on your private data center to the, uh, uh, to the SDDC on that public cloud. And that then, that then allows you to do new and interesting connectivity between those applications, even makes it easy to move applications around. Consider for a moment, I have an application. It's got a whole bunch of infrastructure, networking infrastructure associated with it. Um, but all of that stuff is software defined. So I'm able to reinstantiate that in that public cloud or go back and reinstantiate that relatively easy, easily in the private cloud. And so you mentioned a couple of things, and I, so it brought up a question I had been wanting to ask you anyways about NSX and kind of the, the idea of virtualization from a, compute, from a network perspective like ESX was. And even the names were intentionally kind of picked, right, where ESX was uh, compute virtualization, NSX is that network virtualization, the idea being it's at a layer that's not you know, fully, you know, fully embedded into the rest of the full stack. So my question for you is, number one, has it turned out the way we expected a couple of years ago when we announced it at uh, VMworld? And then secondly, is it is it truly agnostic um, to what's above it like ESX is? Is it, is, is it as horizontally integrated as ESX can be across your data center? Uh, broadly speaking, yes. Uh, so first of all, to your first question, of did it turn out as we expected? Yes, I think it did. Um, uh, as with anything else, you know, you discover certain um, um, businesses or certain things seem to be more popular than you expected. The micro-segmentation, in fact, was one of those that took off super fast, right? Um, but broadly speaking, yes, uh, it, uh, the, the, the vision uh, that, was, that was spoke of back there a few years ago is very much coming true. Um, so your second question on the, uh, is it agnostic to what's above it? 
Uh, once again, yes, it's uh, to the to the applications running above it. You know, they see what they believe is normal networking. They don't see any anything unusual with respect to what they're um, uh, what they're experiencing in terms of this normal networking stack. Um, where I think there are some interesting um, uh, horizontal integrations, uh, things like uh, working with security vendors. You know, we have strong relationships with a, a number of uh, security vendors who plug into the NSX technology. You know, so you do get a bunch of integrations in that space. And, of course, you know, some will integrate more uh, better than others. But um, they are typically where they're trying to take advantages of the fact that it's virtualized. For applications, for the virtual machines running above it, um, that they're completely agnostic to what's going on beneath them. NSX makes them believe that they are getting, you know, a networking environment, which is uh, not unlike what they would see from a physical point of view, at least as far they're, as far as they are concerned. So, uh, and it's thank you for doing that. The the other thing that's really been coming out a lot um, in conversation, and it seems it seems like it's getting quite quite a bit of volume is vSAN. Um, and so the first thing I noticed was uh, actually, I think it was a tweet from uh, Lee Caswell that said that we've renamed vSAN from big VSAN, right? And uh, where it used to be virtual SAN, the product to um, just vSAN, little vSAN, like everything else and kind of the, the vSphere, the vRealize, all that kind of stuff. So obviously there's a thought process behind why that was done. Um, and then you know, let's talk a little bit about what vSAN is doing as far as a full stack architecture uh, and the ability to embed your software-defined storage in that stack. Like, you know, where do we see the benefits of that and where are they growing? Okay. So I didn't actually see uh, uh, Lee's tweet, but, you know, at VMware, basically everything has a V in it. It's kind of uh, an unwritten rule. <laughs> so... Um, uh, you know, if you look at uh, nearly all of the product, it's vSphere, it's, uh, everything just appears with the V, very, very common thing for us to do. So there's also a, unif a unifying uh, of that. Um, I think um, uh, when you look at what the core of what vSAN is and, um, you know, how it gets integrated into the hypervisor, etc. Um, when we originally were looking at um, uh, vSAN, and despite its name, our original focus was um, uh, less around saying this is a, a piece of, of, of you know, general purpose storage being produced by VMware, and rather that it was an extension to um, the whole concept of uh, you know, the, the SDDC, this unified stack, which will then represent your, um, uh, will represent your, will virtualize your, your underlying infrastructure and represent to the applications above it a full stack of what you would expect in a data center, the networking storage, etc. And um, so we always looked at the fact that it's a, it's a deeply integrated part of that SDDC. Um, in fact, uh, you know, when we first started looking um, at, at vSAN uh, way, way back, some of my original thoughts on this were that in some ways you could almost view it as the next generation of what back then was VMFS, the ability to um, have a clustered file system across multiple storage devices and run multiple virtual machines. Um, you know, vSAN was going to be in some ways um, a more powerful but equivalent concept. It's the ability for me to take multiple ESX and cluster them in ways that are very um, you know, which are which are highly scalable, which allows them to work together, and so on. And that's sort of where the genesis of vSAN um, uh, came about. Uh, sorry, came about. Now, it obviously bounced and changed a little bit over the years in that space, but it has very much stuck to the sense of integrated with the hypervisor. Um, the advantages we get because of integrated with the hypervisor, and again, for people who are not aware. Um, when we say integrated with the hypervisor, it is actually built into uh, built into ESX, and um, you know if you're if you're not running vSAN, you don't necessarily see this. But uh, the, you know the interfaces, the code, the nuts and bolts of vSAN are are there ready to go uh, on ESX. Um, that level of integration um, allows us to really take advantage of the knowledge we have of what the workload itself is doing. So if you consider for a moment, the hypervisor is almost in a, 
a kind of a, a Goldilocks zone, a very interesting space when it comes to trying to match workload performance with the available uh, performance and characteristics of the underlying infrastructure. Because its job is to abstract one from the other, but it's also its job is uh, to see what each of them is essentially doing. So we can tell somebody just powered on a whole bunch of new virtual machines. We can tell all of those virtual machines seem to be running the same basic uh, storage. Let's say they're all running Windows. Well, we see here they're all booting into Windows. Um, we have that knowledge. Then equally beneath that, we have deep knowledge on what's going on on the hardware side. Uh, so v, uh, virtual SAN is a you know a distributed storage across multiple servers, leverages Flash heavily, and um, we we know the characteristics of those. We, we you know we know the drivers, we know the exact implementation of what's going on there, and so we are able to match those things together very easily from a performance, from a, a workload balancing point of view. That's one aspect of it, which cut, which really cuts that unique zone that an ES that a hypervisor is in. The second aspect is what I would call just pure simplicity. We are finding that as people want to build their applications, uh, developers want to focus on what their application is, they really want an IaaS layer which just does the right thing. I've got a workload, I've got an application, I want to run it. Uh, you know, I have certain requirements. I need it to be fast, I need it to be secure, I need it to be cheap, whatever it is, right? But the actual implementation of that Many of those developers and admins, um, you know, they're not as uh, focused on the nuts and bolts of, of that as they might have been in the past. And so we want to offer a lot of simplicity. So, for instance, with vSAN, with vSphere, when, it run, when you're using vSAN, the creation of a virtual machine and the creation and connectivity of the storage to that is essentially the same process. You don't look at these as two separate things. I need to provision and manage storage. I need to provision and manage my servers. Instead, you provision your workload. And um, the, that simplicity is a very important part of what, of what we do there, which then really kind of brings you into things like hyperconverged infrastructure, where you're beginning to look at everything as this block of infrastructure which delivers an SDDC to you, and the actual mechanics of how it does that is something that a typical administrator would not have gotten into. Sorry, awesome. I might have given you very long answers. Here, <laughs> no, it's great. No. Too much it. no, we can dig into those. So, you know, um, obviously I wanted to, to real quick dive into why why an embedded, um, uh, you know, vSAN being embedded into the kernel from a performance perspective, right? We talked about the integration and the the ability to to see what's going on and really understand the hardware underneath. But from a performance perspective, if we look at that versus, um, you know, maybe a virtual storage appliance, aka a, a virtual machine running on on the node, what what are the what are the differences, and and why does that impact, or why should that impact a, a decision, one way or the other? So. Um you're going to, you know, the decisions have to be made with lots of different factors brought into them. So, for instance, typically, if you look at a, um, a storage implementation where the storage implementation is software-defined running in a virtual machine, um, so it's a virtual machine, let's say, let's say, take something simple, it's running, um, uh, it's, it's pretending to be an iSCSI device of some sort, right? Um, that, uh, that virtual machine... Um, um, when it's running at that mode, and there's optimization you can do around this, but if I, if I just look at it at a high level, um, it drives its networking through the... Uh, it needs to get out to storage, and let's say it's getting out a local disk. It needs to drive that through the SCSI virtualization of the VM, uh, through the SCSI subsystem of ESX, eventually making its way to the disk. Um, then that, uh, the data from that disk works its way back up through that same stack, back up into that VM. And that VM now turns around and says, this was actually a data request from another VM. So it turns around and says, I'm going to send this back over the IP network, uh, which in this case would be virtualized networking. I'm going to send that back over the IP network um, uh, through the IP stack and work its way back into the other VM uh, which then sees, as far as it's concerned, it's getting that iSCSI uh, packet coming in from what it believes is some sort of a, 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 an iSCSI device out there. There's no idea what's really going on. 
if you look at that that whole you know cycle, right? Um, there's a lot of up through the hypervisor and then back out to the VM on the other side. Now, that's actually a worst-case scenario. There are lots of things you can do to optimize that. But broadly speaking, that virtual machine who is making the data request may well be sitting on the exact same server right beside the iSCSI, uh, uh, the, 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 the VM implement, implementing the iSCSI device. Um, but because of the isolation, which is extremely important from a virtualization point of view, neither of them know that. And because of the fact that we need to maintain the integrity of each virtual machine not knowing that it's even necessarily in a virtualized environment, um, you know, we can't necessarily tunnel things through to allow easy access to that iSCSI device and so on. And so because of that, you have a relatively complex I.O. chain. Now, I do want to emphasize we have worked with um, storage vendors over the years, and we have made sure to minimize the impact of that storage chain. Optimizations, different ways of being able to recognize, you know, um, how close you are to a VM, you know, all, those, all those sort of things. So what I painted to you is almost like a worst-case scenario, but it conceptually explains the problem in that you've got, you know, basically this rather uh, convoluted I.O. path um, with a pure software implementation of the storage device. By putting the storage implementation into um, the uh, hypervisor itself, you avoid much of that uh, storage uh, back and forth. And, um, or sorry, that, you know, that data hopping back and forth. And that gives you, um, uh, you know, basically helps you particularly with things like latency, but, you know, also assists you with overall performance. And then combine that with the fact that you actually, since you're now in the hypervisor, you know the VM which is making this request is literally sitting on the same server where the disk is, where that data is. You're able to do some interesting things based on uh, connecting those things together. Cool. So uh, BSAN 6.5, I saw that it got announced. It's not released. Talk to us about some of the highlights from it. I have my own, so if you... If you miss some, I'll, I'll remind you. But uh, I, I saw the release. I thought it was pretty cool. And uh, there's some things pretty key for me. Um, so in some ways, the release is uh, a natural evolution. So when you speak of the highlights, it's just a natural evolution of what we have been doing. We continue to advance the role, uh, or advance the functionality of vSAN, focus on performance, focus on security. Uh, encryption is one of the uh, interesting things we put in there. Um, that's probably one of the ones I think uh, stood out in my mind. But uh, basically, it's a natural advancing of what uh, what vSAN is. I mean, if you've got a particular uh, area you want to talk about, it might be better, and I can just jump in there. Yeah, in particular, you know, there's the there's the two node implementation, and then from a from yeah. a, um, uh, um, a vSphere integrated containers, the persistent the idea of persistent containers in that world as well. Yeah. So the two-node implementation, you know, that's driven by people looking for a, an interesting cost point. Um, uh, vSAN, and by the way, when we speak of vSAN, I want to be I want to be clear. You also have VxRail. They're essentially the same technology. VxRail is the uh, uh, EMC. Well, I guess Dell now, sorry, <laughs> uh, is the Dell um, um, uh, conver or hyper-converged. Uh, uh, appliance implementation of vSAN. So almost all of the technology that we speak of with vSAN ends up showing up over there as well. Might be a little bit later because we just need to go through, you know, re-release those products. But broadly speaking, you see uh, good synergies between those roadmaps. So, um, so but the two-node implementation that's driven by people looking for that interesting uh, cost point, and um, it's basically to you know make sure that we can stretch vSAN. From the you know the lowest uh, SMB type of uh, uh, implementations all the way up to the you know much larger enterprise plays you know where you might be talking you know 40 50 nodes something like that uh, uh, of vSAN and um, we just want to make sure that we can meet both extremes of uh, of that market um, so that's the two nodes and. Um, the uh, container uh, uh, integration, um, um, our implementation of containers um, leverages the hypervisor. And because it's able to leverage the hypervisor, 
many of the things that you can get in a hypervisor world, such as my ability to be able to do interesting things with storage or networking, begin to apply to, uh, uh, to our implementation of containers as well. Uh, where you see this actually in particular is if you look at the product VIC, uh, which is uh, uh, VMware integrated containers. Um, if you look at that product, it basically gives you uh, a whole container, um, I'll use the word environment or, or, or view of the world, I guess, even though you're running on your existing uh, vSphere infrastructure. That means you get to do things that you would normally do in that vSphere infrastructure, such as access vSAN, such as be able to leverage virtual networking in interesting ways. Um, that's where that uh, that's where that functionality is coming from. That's good stuff. Are you able to um, kind of explain to us really quick what uh, the additional growth? We've actually talked to um, uh, Chris Sexsmith and a couple of other people about uh, VMware integrated containers, but. Uh, Harbor and Admiral were kind of new things. Are you able to do, explain to us really quick what those are about and um, what the thought process yeah. was behind those? Uh, yeah, and to your earlier um, comments, to the earlier comments around innovation, um, Admiral in particular uh, was one of the projects that came from um, one of those innovation programs. It didn't actually come from a hackathon, uh, but it came from um, one of those programs where we uh, we have these things called uh, Accelerate, and we ha uh, where we basically will put some funding into a team to say, hey, that looks like an interesting idea. Bring it to the next level so we can figure out what's going on. Um, and uh, we actually did one of those uh, um, uh, in this space. It wasn't actually officially Accelerate, but the same type of idea. And that, that's where Admiral came from. So Admiral is essentially a portal which is more focused on allowing the developers um, to be able to manage and provision and work with containers on a vSphere infrastructure, because um, they not they you know most of the time they're not going to want to be getting into the nuts and bolts of the infrastructure in the same way that an administrator or an operator of um, of vSphere would when they're leveraging uh, a virtual center. So it's a whole new portal driven in in that uh, in that space. By the way, that's what, uh, that's open source, people can grab it and take a look at what's in there and so on as well. Um, um, Harbor is um, uh, more of a container, um, I, I, it's more focused on making sure that when you're leveraging containers in an enterprise space, that it fits well into you know, how, enterprises, uh, um, how enterprises use um, uh, use containers, use the registry, um, just in a way that fits more to our traditional enterprise customer base. Once again, that's also something that uh, you can get a bunch of stuff um, visible from an open source point of view. Yeah, so uh, love that. We, uh, we've we been big fans of uh, VMware integrated containers as well as VIO and kind of where those things are headed. Um, if we If we scroll back up the stack a little bit, one of the other huge announcements out of... Um, uh, Bar VMworld Barcelona, or maybe it was like, you know, right on the precipice of Barcelona was another uh, VMware Cloud Foundation uh, cross-cloud partner in AWS. So here we have all these different fun acronyms, right? So um, for those who don't know AWS, right, Amazon Web Services. So what is, what's the difference between that relationship, if there is one, and the partnership around IBM Cloud? Um, so there are, uh, so at the, at the technical level um, uh, of the different technologies, they both are implementations of the SDC running on a public cloud. So uh, uh, I saw a tweet or something, I think I saw it yesterday where somebody was talking about VMware on AWS and um, uh, the, the, whatever was the, the question around what's the API, how does this work, et cetera, and somebody tweeted back, um, something to the effect of get real man, it's just freaking ESX, right? Which is basically the existing stack running on AWS, which is very similar to what you um, saw on uh, what, what you see on, uh, on IBM. So the same advantages apply. It's the same stack. I can do the same stretch networking. I can leverage the same, you know, power and capability of a very much enterprise class hypervisor using ESX. And um, so that's, uh, from a technology point of view, they're the same thing. There are some differences in terms of how they're managed. Um, there is, uh, 
Uh, in the case of IBM, uh, there is a management portal which comes uh, from IBM, which allows you to go to IBM and say, I want to provision VMware-type infrastructure uh, uh, in your cloud, and they take care of, of that. Uh, the current plan, and remember the AWS product, while it's announced, is not yet shipping, right? Um, but the current plan on the AWS uh, side of things is that VMware will be um, managing that, uh, that infrastructure and puts in place um, that portal and VMware customers will come to that. Um, so in both cases, uh, but particularly in that second case, there is a definite as-a-service story to this. So the actual life cycle of the SDDC infrastructure running on Amazon, uh, let's say you need to do a security patch to ESX or something like that, that is handled as a service uh, um, working with VMware as opposed to a customer having to go in and saying, I need to install a new VIB. Sorry, VIB is a, think of it as a, a, a packet, or sorry, a package uh, in the ESX world. I don't need to install a new software package or a new VIB on that, VMware will take care of that for me. So it is a managed service in that way. In one case, the managed service is by VMware. In the other case, the managed service is by IBM. Both of those statements are the way it is right now. You know, I'm assuming you could get some blending of those. Can we share common uh, interfaces or as a service and so on in the future? But then that's basically the, the situation uh, right now. Um, so that's it from a technology point of view. Um, the power to customers is very much the same as, as what you saw with IBM, but AWS is the mega cloud. And, um, you know, many, many, many customers leverage AWS. Many, many of our developers, many developers want to leverage AWS uh, in what they do. So what you're really seeing here is a bringing together of you know, the leader in the private cloud, which is VMware, with, you know, vast majority of private cloud infrastructure is based on VMware, and you're seeing the leader in the mega public cloud uh, coming together to solve the same problem I referred to earlier, which was how do you truly operate in these hybrid environments? And we are very much of the opinion that this hybrid environment is going to be um, the environment for a very long time, and... Um, that is, uh, that's what both companies are, are, are doing there. The customer response, both from the IBM deal and on the uh, AWS deal, has been extremely positive. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to see how that uh, uh, really plays out. But I think we are solving a real customer problem, and we're seeing the response based on that. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, you know, it was interesting that you, you, you talked about how it's managed, and, and that's in, still kind of in the works right now. So VMware will manage it from an AWS perspective, and it sounds like IBM will do it from the blue perspective. Um, one of the questions that I had was, how how is this environment segregated? Is it is it on like an EC2 with the elastic block storage or S3, or is it on bare metal how exactly does that look? And then, um, you know, how are how are our enterprise customers that are using something like this? How are they ensuring, you know, that that I guess that segmentation, whether it's a, a if they need private access um, or if they're, it's going to be something that's multi-tenant. Um, so some of this, uh, I'm not going to get into some of the nuts and bolts beneath this, but um, broadly speaking. Um, if you look at what how this is implemented, it is um, an SDDC. It does run a VMware hypervisor, and that VMware hypervisor obviously needs direct access to the underlying um, physical CPU, physical infrastructure. Um, so uh, from that point of view, you are getting much the same as what you would have seen in a private uh, data center from the point of view of the SDDC. Um, you know, you are seeing the true SDC with everything associated with that. But if you don't mind, I'm not going to get into the details of how we've worked that with either IBM or with uh, um, uh, with AWS. You know, our engineering teams have been working obviously a bit longer with IBM since that was uh, that 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 occurred a bit earlier. Um, but I've been working with uh, uh, AWS and jointly between the two companies, figuring out how to make that happen and um, you know, you're seeing the result of that right now. But sorry, I'm not going to get into the uh, 
some of the technologies there because you know both companies are still very much actively working those. Yeah, that's that's good. And and by the way, uh, we we ask and hope that you would answer, but you don't have to. Um, it's the same answer though. If you go if you go up to Amazon directly and be like, okay, what's the story behind um, you know uh, Glacier? They're going to be like. Uh, just consume it and move on, right? So they, not, not everybody right. answers those kind of questions. It's no big deal. Um, so speaking right. of yep. those those partnerships, and another article that we read, um, now a a strategically aligned business to yours uh, with VirtuStream, kind of in the in the family of of Dell Technologies, um, we hear of plans to integrate NSX again, being able to scale that same software defined network experience into their enterprise cloud. Um, as well as being able to do other things like what's happened with AWS and with IBM Cloud. So can you tell us a little bit about where that's headed and you know what else I haven't just you know opened up the door for? Yeah, I think the two primary things there that were recently spoken of was the uh, vRealize endpoint. Uh, sorry, vRealize is our management is our cloud management uh, products, um, which are you know, work across multiple clouds that um, that would be uh, that would be integrated and work. Sorry, that would uh, use uh, VirtuStream as an endpoint, meaning that it gets to manage uh, workloads on that. Users get to provision that and so on. Um, that is one uh, uh, product area. And then the other one is the one you just referred to, which is NSX, the integration of NSX into that mix. Um, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, VirtuStream, all of the uh, Dell technology strategically aligned businesses. Um, you know, we all want to work as closely together with each other. And, um, you know, VirtuStream's uh, fundamental technology is based on a lot of VMware infrastructure. And that means it's able to take advantage of the new things we do, such as some of the stuff we do in NSX, etc. So while I think, you know, these are new announcements, um, in reality, they shouldn't really be unexpected. I mean, we've a we've a great desire to work well across the strategically aligned business in Dell Technologies, and so I think you're going to see you're just going to see uh, more uh, more of that occurring. And um, you know, what you tend to see is just gaps in time. We release NSX, some new feature. It takes you know uh, one of the other strategically aligned business. Um, you know, a few months or something to pick that up because they've got their own timelines and so on. You know, VMware is an independent company with its own uh, timelines and markets, et cetera. But, uh, you know, there is a desire to work closely across the uh, strategic aligned businesses. Cool. So a couple other questions and then uh, we'll, we'll shut this thing down. But uh, we brought up VMware integrated containers earlier. Um, and that reminds me of, of the Photon project, the OS, and, and Photon itself. So where is Photon in its life, and uh, how's that project doing overall? Okay. Um, so there's um, just as every product at uh, VMware has a V in it, um, we may have caused, uh, you know, we have a lot of projects with the word Photon in them. Um, but broadly speaking, uh, the key product in this space is the Photon platform. And the Photon platform is um, a, a, a stack which is very much optimized for uh, people who want to leverage containers or more specifically cloud-native app type of implementations, a type of applications, um, and, excuse me, and don't necessarily have the same requirement to say, I want to be able to share this infrastructure in a hybrid type environment, uh, sorry, in this case, I mean hybrid in terms of, you know, more legacy traditional type of applications. I very much am okay to go 100% into this new space. And that's what the Photon platform is focused on. It is distinct from VIC in that um, VIC allows you to leverage your existing infrastructure, your existing management techniques, your existing, your existing uh, you know, automation tools and so on to be able to run and deliver a containerized environment. Um, the uh, Photon platform is a parallel, uh, parallel stack there. Uh, it consists essentially of um, uh, a smaller implementation of a hypervisor, uh, a runtime on that hypervisor. Um, it consists of... Um, the, a management layer, which is really where the name Photon Platform comes from, a highly distributed management layer whose focus is to manage the individual physical nodes, but more importantly, to focus on 
How do you get your act, your actual container applications and so on onto those nodes? How do you instantiate those containers, etc.? And then the other component, which is called Photon, is there is a Photon, there's a version of Linux in the middle of this specifically optimized to run on that hypervisor and specifically optimized to, to play nicely with the Photon platform. And that's, uh, that's in the mix uh, with that as well. Where is that? Actually, there was a, uh, a fairly long uh, presentation on this uh, at uh, VMware Barcelona on the second day keynote. Uh, by Kit Colbert, who's the CTO of that uh, that part of our company, he runs the or he's the CTO for the SDC area, and um, uh, he went through you know basically a lot of details on that, talking about Harbor, talking about um, um, I'm sorry, talking about uh, Admiral, but probably one of the, probably the main thing he was uh, emphasizing was the fact that um, there's an integration with Kubernetes now available um, uh, coming available with um, uh, with the fo- with Photon platform, and so that's where that's probably the most recent new thing that's in there. So we're continuing to advance Photon platform. Um, you know, a lot of our customers are you know trying to leverage Vic for containers because it allows them to leverage a lot of stuff that they have already. But we're continuing to drive Photon platform. And by this, by the way, this whole area of CNA is again one of those areas when we look at the strategically aligned businesses. You know, obviously. You know the uh, partnerships and, align- and aligning with uh, uh, Pivotal is extremely important to us in the whole CNA space, and so that's where a lot of our our focus is uh, starting to go as well. What is the best way for us and us and Pivotal to be able to play together? Um, you know, Matt, I'm not sure many of you realize that Pivotal uh, uh, was originally um, part of VMware and a, a lot, you know, spun out of VMware. So there's a lot of good connections between those between those organizations, and we want to be able to continue to leverage that, obviously. And so, from from your perspective, were you were you involved with uh, Cloud Foundry when it was part of uh, kind of the VMware family in in your job and responsibility? Um, actually, back then, uh, not not heavily inside in Cloud Foundry itself. And the nuts and bolts of Cloud Foundry um, uh, initially. Uh, was very much around what is the best way to have a, I don't think we necessarily called it a cloud infrastructure, but it was essentially a cloud infrastructure. Think of it as an IaaS, which is optimized uh, for running um, very high, sorry, very high churn CNA type of uh, uh, type of workloads. And I was involved with that in terms of how would we make our vSphere and our SDC and whatever management infrastructure we had best optimized for that. But no, but broadly speaking, um, uh, that was a team. That was a separate team, heavily focused on just making uh, making pivotal work at that stage. Cool. By the way, the names were different at that stage. Yeah, I was just going to ask you if it felt uh, felt interesting yeah. to get. Um, it's almost like sending off. Uh, I mean, at that point, it was almost like sending off a teenager to boarding school and like you know hoping that they foster appropriately and grow. And and um, obviously, they've really grown pretty well. So, um, but if you if you weren't like right on top of it, then it probably doesn't make sense to ask. But um, yeah, so, I mean, I think the uh, I think you know you got to realize there. Paul Moritz was the CTO, sorry, was the CEO of VMware at that time, and right at the time of the the, the transition to uh, Pivot, sorry, the creation of Pivotal, he was the, he became you know he he left there as the CEO of Pivotal. So you know, obviously, uh, you know, the while there was while there was a movement into a new team, there was still connectivity. You know, a lot of people know each other and so on. So we've we've covered a ton. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of movement um, for VMworld for VMware uh, ever since right before VMworld US, and then also right before VMworld Barcelona. So you know, roughly the last you know two months worth, have we hit everything? Is there anything else key that uh, you know as we kind of head out of this thing, you'd like people to understand about where VMware's headed? Um, you know, your thought processes and your strategies and, you know, where you're trying to make big splashes uh, and, and remind people exactly how much uh, you're trying to help their data centers out. Yeah, so I think probably one of the biggest ones is uh, we haven't spoken at all about the VMware uh, mobile products, uh, AirWatch, uh, Workspace. Um, if you, what we have seen is that as companies go through this move towards much more of a digital or you know uh, digital transformation. I know it's an, over, an overused term, but we do really see it, um, where 
uh, companies who are not necessarily traditional technology companies uh, are now becoming really software and technology companies in order to sell their product and deliver it, that means that their IT organizations are now at the very heart of the success or failure of the company. And that IT organization then needs to really begin to worry about not just the data center, but how are the applications built and managed. In some cases, they are building those applications. And then um, they also need to worry about the whole way that the interface with customers and with the employees of the company. And that almost always comes down to how do I manage mobile devices? How do I manage laptops? How do I secure them? How do I deal with tablets and so on in that space? And... um, we, you know, VMware has invested heavily in this because we have seen the, that that is the new requirement of the new type of, you know, I call it super IT or broader IT. And uh, so we put a lot of effort into that. And we've had new, some new announcements there as well. Uh, Workspace One was probably the most important one, which is basically a unified approach to how you manage all of these devices, uh, including laptops, mobile devices. And so we, uh, that's an interesting thing if people want to check out what that is. Um, that's a cool, a cool product. Um, and again, even stretching a little bit more into the future, we see that some of those things, some of these things that we do on the data center side and on the uh, mobile side are beginning to pop up as um, interesting activities now in the IoT space, where um, you know how do we manage IoT devices? How do you secure them? Many of the things that we have done in the mobile and enterprise space begin to play here. And so, you know, we've also had some uh, uh, recent uh, um, um, demos. And at VMware, we actually had a a particular part of the show floor just dedicated to IoT, showing some of the technologies that VMware has in this space. There's an open source project out there called Leota, which is uh, basically a VMware uh, open source project for helping you uh, manage IoT devices. I I hope you get Ray Leota to help you advertise that when it's... uh when it's out there and like super big, because that would be awesome. Uh, I like that. I need, I need to talk to our marketing department. Yeah. Coming from marketing, those are the things that I can add to the conversation. Right. So, um, yeah. I got a lot of value at the table. Yeah. You provide a lot of value. Cool. Ryan. So cool. Ray. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show, man. So, you know, I know you've been traveling around for, for the VM worlds, uh, of, 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 of the world. Um, so, where can folks find you next? Do you have a Do you have a, a public speaking engagement where where we can catch up with you? Uh, so, the next big event that I'm heading to is actually the uh, Web Summit in Lisbon. I don't know if you're familiar with what that is. It's um, it's a large conference. I think it's nearly forty thousand people at this stage. Um, that time in Lisbon, uh, the second week of November, and. Um, I'm looking forward to that because it was particularly interesting from that conference. I've been there in previous years, so it was previously, it was previously in Dublin. Um, um, what's very interesting about that is the number of startups at that conference is enormous. It's very focused on startup after startup after startup. So it's very interesting just to you know see what people are thinking about and to look at their companies we can partner with or. or um, you know, figure out some ways we could share technologies or, or something in that space. So that's that's a good that's an interesting conference because it is uh, very focused on on startups and that gives me a lot of insight into what people are. That sounds great, Ray. Um, so look, we've uh, we've taken a ton of your time. I know you're super busy. You probably got to go to. Uh, 17 different CTO meetings between now and the rest of the end of the day. So we appreciate all the time that you've taken out for us uh, and everything that you've shared with our listeners. Brent, you want to take this out from here? Well, I guess the only other thing is where can we find you online, Ray? I know you've got Twitter, maybe you've got uh, a blog or some other places, but uh, tell us how we can get a hold of you um, in the social sphere. Yep. Uh, so uh, uh, Twitter is probably the easiest way. And uh, it's, fairly obvious it's uh, Ray underscore style um, and um, the uh, other spaces I do put stuff on blogs but it's on the VMware Octo blog um, so myself and many of the other CTOs will post uh, uh, blogs up there um, other than that LinkedIn is probably the easiest way and again it's pretty easy to track me down there awesome thanks so uh, and then the other thing that we like to get is you know an understanding of, of what drives you and what's keeping you ahead of the curve, whether that's technology related or just personal. What, what what books 
are you reading right now or would you recommend to our listeners? Um, so I, you know, it's kind of two things that, that I'm particularly, you know, I guess fascinated in, um, are fascinated with. One of them is um, just uh, how, um, how organizations, uh, you know, manage to evolve and, you know, if, uh, look at things like how do they build up, uh, you know, keep their culture of innovation or whatever cultures companies had to grow very large. PMware obviously is a, a company which has, you know, grown enormously over the last uh, 10 years and, um, you know, has managed to hold on, I think, very well to its culture of innovation. And how teams do that, how organizations make that happen is uh, something that's particularly interesting. The human side, I guess, to, um, you know, to how, uh, how engineering and how innovation and how uh, pro- products work, or sorry, how, how teams work. So, you know, I don't really have any particular books in that space because I just end up reading quite a lot of them because I find you get lots of very different opinions and within them there's always some nuggets that uh, you can take away um, you can take away from them. So, you know, anything got to do with how do teams actually work and how do people work together? In the end, I find that most projects uh, end up succeeding or failing uh, based on, you know, teams and people and their ability to work together. And uh, that's what that, to, to me, is very important. Um, the second thing, looking forward to, this, uh, to some future technologies, um, you know, I, I have noticed a definite trend and virtualization is part of that is where, you know, everything goes higher and higher and higher in the stack to some degree. And um, I think, you know, some of the newer kind of concepts of no code or even serverless type of uh, uh, development, I think are interesting things that just happen to be grabbing my attention at the moment and trying to understand where they might go. So that's one area that I see a little bit of uh, uh, something in. And, you know, and one thing I didn't really mention, which I think is important to us at VMware to mention, is, um, you know, VMware has a strong set of values. We call them epic, and each of the letters stand for something. Um, but one of those, you know, one of those values is around community and what a company can do um, to help in the community and help the world and, you know, a focus on things like sustainability and uh, how we as as engineers and we as uh, a company are able to really influence that. Um, that is something I spend a fair amount of time on as well. And uh, I think that's that's um, that's just very important to our culture. And uh, that's about it. They're the three things. People, community around the culture, and from a technology point of view, what's going on with uh, some of these new no-code and serverless type of concepts in the future yeah awesome well ray certainly appreciate your time with that we want to let our listeners know to to get social with us let us know what you're thinking about what you're curious about learning about and we will track those people down even if you have people to recommend for us we'd certainly uh, take those into consideration and, and try to learn as much as as we can so that you can learn as well so with that let's shut down the hot aisle for today my name is brent piatti and i'm brian carpenter And Ray, thanks again for being on the show today. Thank you, guys.